0: said I need a hand I knew you'd understand but now you're building shelves in
1: Welcome to The Lisa Show. Coming up on this episode, is it unreasonable for you to expect your partner to bring you a Pop-Tart in bed? And how do you actually belong to yourself? This is The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. talking to the Council of Moms and getting some really great information about really what it takes to communicate your needs to your partner and also like figure out what those needs are. And I'll also be talking to Dr. Finlayson-Fyfe, Fife, is an expert that I've followed for many years about how to really create a beautiful, living, thriving relationship. Okay, so here's my disclaimer for this episode. If you haven't figured it out, we're talking about self-care and how to balance it with having a partner. And I'll be honest, this is weird for me to talk about because I'm single and and I'm widowed. So I have this solo parenting kind of identity and, and I'm trying to figure out how to sort of navigate this right now. But when I think about it, I do have 25 years of marriage experience, and that's not nothing. It's just not my situation now. So I've thought a lot about this. um, And as a single mom, I see the benefit in having this discussion because there's an application. It's different, obviously, between different kinds of relationships. I've for example, rely more heavily on friends and family members and use their help in a different way than I did when I was married. But it is not the same. It's not even close as it was when I was married. You know, no one is as invested in this sort of day in and day out and has all the information about all the details, all the history, the emotion behind every decision or situation. And I want to acknowledge that. But certain principles are the same. I still need to know what my own needs are. Uh, I still need to ask for help. I still need to work on boundaries and communicating on what I need with other people. And so these are good life skills. So, yes, there is a universal application. But I do want to give a shout out to my single friends because it is hard to go it alone. You know, no one's coming to save us. <laughs> if you need a break or help or ride to the airport, there's not that one person that you go to first. You kind of have to just spread it around. And in the interest of full disclosure, right now I have a really bad attitude about this, <laughs> so I, I'm sure it will ooze into the episode. So believe me when I say that this conversation about self care with a partner isn't for when you get a partner or if you get a partner. It really is for right now, because it all matters right now. You and your life, it's happening now. It doesn't pause, it doesn't wait. And being better responsible for your own needs, knowing what you need, how to tell others, how to ask for it in healthy ways is what you need now more than ever. Now, expectations bring suffering and all of that feeling. We're going to talk about that in this episode. And I don't want to rely on anyone as kind of a common theme. It's very, you know, human and it's kind of tricky. Uh, And sometimes it feels particularly seductive to me. I get it. But when we separate ourselves from others and we don't reach out, that's not good either in any situation. So we need that connection and we need to rely on others. Becoming a Lone Island doesn't really help anyone and least of all you. So in summary, this episode is weird to talk about. I have a bad attitude, but it's probably a good indication that it would be good to talk about and I need more connection. So let's dive in. I talked to the Council of Moms about their experience figuring out boundaries with their partners, and you'll hear from Amy. I'm Amy Hackworth, and I'm a mom of three, and I also have a college student who just
2: launched a few weeks ago. Still fresh. Big news. And from Amelia. I'm Amelia Kuhlman. I'm a mother of two my oldest is a college student and she is transgender. And then my youngest is 18 and she's a goth. <laughs>
1: she is a goth. <laughs> she's so cute. Such great kids.
0: Is the topic a surprise? No.
2: I mean, it's not a surprise. I know it's self care. Yeah. It's balancing self
1: care with a partner.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> are we rolling? Because oh, this is no. great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> self care with a partner. I'm such a lone wolf. <laughs> so I want you. I am my own partner. Well, I want to start <laughs> to hear about that. Okay, so first of all, let's oh, back yeah. up a little bit
1: and start with how do you how do you know that something's out of whack, right? And that you're like, ooh, some of my needs are not
2: met. How do you, mm-hmm. first of all, how do you identify that? Uh, I think for me, because I have so many weird health issues, I'll start to notice physically something's wrong. Mm. And I'll kind of go, ooh, okay, so... I've been pushing it. I haven't been eating right. I haven't been sleeping well enough, you know, and it usually will manifest somehow physically, Mm -hmm. especially like with a seizure disorder that I have. Um, I'll notice I'll start to get twitchy. My medication will kind of stop working as well as it used to. Stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And so so then when you identify that, what do you have to do? That's what's hard. I usually have to take a little more medication. I have to be more conscientious about like what I'm eating or, you know, sleeping a little bit more, trying to de-stress myself emotionally (laughs) because that's usually what ends up, you know.
1: Yeah. And you have kind of a demanding sort of career.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Explain a little bit about
1: that because I always think we try to separate them, but they're it's like what you're drawn to and what you love and what fills you also stresses you out. Oh, yeah. What's that like?
2: Yeah, no, completely. (laughs) It's weird because I do, like, I feel like in the moment. Um, So I'm a wardrobe stylist. I do that now. (laughs) I did that before. And then, um, yeah, working in film, I did a bunch of different um, departments. Now I'm solely in wardrobe. But yeah, it's really long hours. It's not a lot of sleep the night before. I just did um, a shoe that was probably the most physically taxing that I've done in at least the last four years. Wow. Just to kind of test out the seizure situation and see how I was gonna do, if it was gonna be okay. And yeah, I had a couple of you know, nights where I would just get an hour's sleep. And Ooh. the next day, no bueno. It no, was not, that's not good. No, it was not good. Um, but I do, I love my job. And so it's really hard to navigate that. I want to push myself. And, you know, in film, when you're one of the only females, as you know, Lisa, it's like you have to kind of represent, like, I want to show that I'm as tough as the big boys, that I can hang with, you know, the biggest grips. You know, it's like, I want to make sure that I can physically do everything I need to do without any help. Yeah. Which that's- is so dumb. <laughs> I can <laughs> do so it dumb. by myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People like, can I help you carry that, yeah. you know, enormous tub of shoes or whatever it is? Yeah. Or And I'm, yeah, I have to fight the urge to be like, no, 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 I, can, I got it. Because I did that for 20 years. And now I'm like paying for it. Yeah, I'm paying for it. And I have to go, yes, please, can you help me? Yeah,
1: And asking for help. Mm -hmm. It's just such a basic self-care, like principle. (laughs) But I get it. Like being resistant to that because of good things. I'm independent. I can do it. I don't want to ask anybody, put anybody out. And yeah, uh, I don't know all those false narratives that we say that somehow there's some sort of like honor in it. Carrying a tub of shoes by myself means I have value.
2: (laughs) Yes. Why do we think there's honor in that? Like, somehow I I give myself a weird little dopamine hit every time. I'm just like, Mm. I don't need anybody. I got this by myself. Well, I just am fascinated that Amelia's are physical
0: signs. Mine are emotional signs. I think I get snippy. That's probably my (laughs) biggest, my biggest tell. And it has taken my loving partner to help me see that. (laughs) Over the years, he'll kind of check in first, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. And now I see it myself all the time. So I just get a little edgy. Things just are a little more irritating Mm. than they were, you know, last week or whatever. And then that's when I have to stop and think, okay, what's going on with me that— whatever, these shoes in the doorway, this kid who won't get out of bed, whatever, is like about to send me over the edge.
1: Like, yeah. That's and, when you know things are off. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So mm-hmm. then how do you identify then what it is that you need? Like for Amelia, she's like, okay, I got to check my meds. I got to check sleep, physical. Then, then what do you do? I think for me, I
0: most always need some time on my own. I just need some quiet time to sort of reset. So a lot of the time that is for me writing, like journaling, the kind of journaling that I don't want to share with anyone. You know what I mean? I'm oh, using <laughs>
1: the yeah, term. if somebody ever read <laughs> that. Oh, oh, boy. My sad, sad blue yeah. journal. Oh, yeah. would not be good. Yeah. Burn upon my death. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. No, but or for publish. real.
0: Or publish? <laughs> no. Or publish. Oh, right, no. I this guess I don't care. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a debate, though. It's a debate, right? Because there's a lot of wisdom in that, for sure. I always mm-hmm. think I'll go back and edit it. I'll go yeah, back and take right? out the really rough parts, which I'm never going to do, of course, so for me, it is like time to myself to write. Sometimes just a quiet walk is all it takes. Usually it's it's because I've been ignoring something that I know I need to take care of. And it's rarely a physical thing, right? It's something, maybe there's like a situation that I don't want to think about. And so mm-hmm. I'm like shoving that a little bit to the side of my mind, carrying on as though it's not there, right? And then it becomes a little heavier. And I realize like, oh, I have to just slow down and think about that. And give it the space. And
1: uh, yeah, that helps a ton. It's one thing to know what you need. And it's another thing to negotiate with <laughs> a partner. So how do you do that? How do you negotiate, take care of your own self-needs, and, you know, encourage your partner to or negotiate the time to? I mean, there's so many facets to
2: it. Oh, yeah, please teach me. I, I have the hardest time diagnosing. That's what I have a hard time cuz yeah, I have a great boyfriend who is awesome and would love to be supportive. Yeah. And he's always like, "What can I do?" He asked me all that. "What can I do? What can I do?" And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> cuz I have a hard time figuring out what I need. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I need help yeah. diagnosing my yeah. own self, my own emotions. I yeah, I'm not it's very tricky. It. it is. It's tricky. And I think the the challenge with it is that
0: one challenge with it is that we have kind of been taught that there's a whole stable of emotions that we should avoid, right? They're scary mm. and they feel scary and looking at them or acknowledging that we have them can make us feel like we've done something wrong or mm-hmm. like we're bad parents or we're bad partners if we're angry or upset or if we're hurt about something that we, you know, think isn't valid. I think I think that culturally, we spend a lot of time tiptoeing around difficult emotions and yes. it puts us in the place where we don't really know what we want or what we need because we kind of keep distance between ourselves and our feelings. Oh, so true. Oh, yeah.
1: And so identifying, it sounds like you're saying, Amy, like identifying what you're feeling and being able to sit in it is the first thing. Because maybe there isn't something that anyone else can do. Yeah. But maybe there, you know, I was, I'm single now. I was married for 25 years. And I remember when we... When we got good at it, because there have been (laughs) some ups and downs, we're like, you should be reading my mind or, hey, it's very clear what I need in this moment right now. Look around. At least at some point you
2: did get good at it. Because (laughs) (laughs) again, maybe after, tell me what that looks like. Well, I remember he he would say to me,
1: do you want me to listen while you vent? Mm. Or do you want me to offer solutions and try to help you solve it? Mm. And that was so helpful because it focused what I needed because I'd have to stop and go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> l- l- listen, eight out of 10 times, it was, tell me I'm right. Oh, right. I have <laughs> this, I've been like rage cleaning, which is, mm-hmm. that's because I'm kind of like you, Amy, in the sense of like, if something's off, I get mad, I get snippy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so things that normally wouldn't bug me, just do. And so, like, I came up with my best speeches while I would vacuum, right? Like, oh, and you know what? I would tell her this, and then I would say this, and I monologue while I'm vacuuming. But I found that it wasn't, like, satisfying because nobody Mm. could tell me I was right. That validation piece. And so I would say, just validate me, you know, and, and, you know, he would. It'd be great. And sometimes... And he got he got really good at trying to—at at figuring out when there was a—the door was cracked open a little bit and when it was shut. Like, are you just <laughs> tell me that I am right. And guess what your kid did? Guess what he did? And I wanted to say this, but I didn't. You know why? Because I'm a good mom. And I bit my tongue. And, you know, and he'd be like, oh, that's so great. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. But a couple of times, if the door was left a little bit open, like, am I crazy? Like, what do you think? Like, this— you know, he could offer maybe a little bit of a suggestion or like, you know, well, maybe you should say something and say it like this, or mm-hmm. I would just, you know, do this or and here's why and be kind of prescriptive. And um sometimes like two out of ten times that's helpful. <laughs> that's an important ratio. Maybe you should say again, two, I, two out, out of 10, ten times I wanted a suggestion. <laughs> Eight out of ten. I just <laughs> needed to vent.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Because you're right. Like, there's no bad emotion. Like, you got to feel your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that I've learned, especially with grief. You, there's no pushing them down. There's no brushing them aside. They'll just come back bigger and badder. Mm-hmm. You got to mm-hmm. feel it. You gotta. You gotta get comfortable with it. And make friends with it, so that you can talk and negotiate with it. But, um, and but but negotiating with a partner and communicating that is an entirely yeah. different skill set. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've got a story.
0: I love it. I've got a story when you said, uh, no, no more of this mind reading stuff, right? And you kind of brushed over that and we all know better, but I think that we still do it sometimes, right? There's plenty of mind reading going on, especially early on in a relationship. So here's a story from when I was pregnant with my oldest son. He's 18 now. So 18 years ago, Um, you guys remember the pregnancy book that was everywhere. What to expect when you're expecting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So did not read the whole thing, thumbed through it, read one paragraph about how your partner might help bring you breakfast in the morning you guys <laughs>
2: <laughs> expectations set expectation yeah, they might set.
0: do this I mean, what a <laughs> wonderful thing <laughs> i wish that know? i could remember like exactly what it says in my mind it said if your partner loves you. Oh. <laughs> they will get up before you and bring you breakfast every single day of your pregnancy. I mean, because yeah, you're growing a human. <laughs>
1: growing it a sounds human sounds
0: reasonable. Super. Yeah. You're getting Super bones. reasonable. Anyway, I uh, carried that around for a long time. And my dear husband, Justin, did not bring me breakfast <laughs> every morning. Not even unbelievable. a Pop-Tart? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, unbelievable, Amelia, right? I mean, can you believe this guy? <laughs> anyway, I carried that around for a really long time. During my pregnancy, like, hmm, well, I guess he got me toast that one time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all this stuff. And then I finally went back to look at the book, which I thought we'd read together. You know what I mean? I had this whole story yeah. in my head and i looked at the paragraph and it does not say anything close to that it's just it's just like a like a general suggestion not even a suggestion you guys it's just an <laughs> idea and i made it this big thing i first of all misinterpreted the words on the page and then i made it this big thing in my relationship and whose responsibility really is it to feed me it's mine and if i need help with it then it's my responsibility to ask for help with it mm-hmm. and that gives Justin this great opportunity to help, which he's more than happy to do. But I created this whole like mess. And so I think that really is, I mean, that's an extreme story, but I think that is we it? continue to do that.
2: Is it though? Thanks, Amelia. I, know, I, mean, I, I don't think it's, it's that extreme. Yeah, I, I think that to an extent, and you know, <laughs> still doing it, you know, yeah. in, in different ways. Maybe it's not over toast. Yeah. What's but it over, still, Amelia? Do it. What is it? What is a whole other— Don't you look at me with that face. (laughs) We're sharing. Mm. Are we, though? (laughs) Oh, come on. To that extent, (laughs) I mean. (laughs) uh, But, yeah, I think that, you know, maybe it gets more complicated, you know. Um, Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, still do that thing. If you loved me, then— Yeah, whatever.
1: Well, and even being, like, happy for your partner when you're going through a hard time. So I remember being pregnant (laughs) because I was pregnant five times. And I remember, like— Okay, so when I told a little bit about this story to the Council of Moms, I didn't give all of the details. And really bringing it up brought back a lot of memories from (laughs) my— 25 years of being married to Christopher Clark, which was great. And we weren't always good at being able to be happy for each other. And sometimes things come to a critical breaking point. So I remember that when I had five kids and it was still new to me. You know, when you decide to have five kids in 10 years, you are signing up to have a busy life. And, you know, Christopher and I have a lot of energy and we just thought, (laughs) this is the life we want to, you know, create. But you realize when you're in the thick of, of taking care of a lot of kids or trying to get your career really up and going and started, like Christopher was, that things get intense and you could always be doing more in your career, in your relationships with your kids, like everybody wants to take 100%. And there was one time when he came home and he was talking about his day and he was talking about, you know, he was working two jobs at the time, he was um volunteering for our church in a huge capacity. I mean he was directing plays at night, like very intense. And he had found an opportunity to exercise like in the morning by waking up really early and he was like seeing a lot of Progress in that area. And he was like, Isn't that great? And I was so resentful because I had these little kids and I was barely making it through the day. I was so tired and I needed him to take the kids for five minutes. And it wasn't working out because he's like, Oh no, I got to go back to rehearsal or I got to go to work or whatever. And I remember listening to him describing how he had reached this goal with like, working out and how happy he was and how great it made him feel. And I was not happy for him. I was like, oh, must be nice. And he looked at me a little bit like wounded. Like, why aren't you happy for me? Like, I'm making my goals. And I realized I was like, yeah, I am not happy for you at all. I am resentful because it must be nice that you can wake up early and it won't ruin your whole day. And you can go exercise, you know, and I had had of these little kids. And I had given birth to all of them as well. So I was tired. And that started a really interesting discussion for the both of us on how to negotiate like what we need and um, what we can expect of the other person. You know, he was a little wounded that I wasn't happy for him. And I was resentful that he didn't see how insensitive that was of talking about it. And that led to Um, some really great discussions and honestly reconfiguring our schedules so that there wasn't that kind of resentment. I had to take ownership and responsibility for my own feelings of like, listen, if I'm not living the life I want to, then I need to make changes. And he was willing to give me the benefit of the doubt, and I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that this wasn't malicious, that this was not we the one wasn't trying to take advantage of the other, but that we just didn't know what we didn't know. And we did change our schedules, and we did really talk to each other more openly after that about what we were struggling in. and. Uh, you know, trying to be really happy for the others and their successes as well, because it's always an ebb and flow. But I just remember that moment, and I was trying to explain it to the Council of Moms as saying that, you know, because relationships are living and thriving, this isn't a one-time conversation. This is a conversation that you'll need to have continually throughout your relationships. So then that that goes
0: back to your earlier question about how do we know when we need self-care? I think resentment is a really great clue. Right. If we're feeling resentful toward our partner for something that they get to do or or that they are able to do that we feel like we can't, that's an awesome moment to be like, oh, okay. I need I need that too. I need that. Whatever it is. It doesn't look the same, right? Because you're pregnant, so you need something else. And it'll never look exactly the same. But I think resentment is another good clue yeah, for knowing when I do too.
1: And we, that there's sort of like an something. ebb and a flow in that relationship. Um with being able to express that or not being able to express this. I don't know. Totally. And the and the sort of immaturity maturity to be able to like I for
0: sure have, you know, done the like, well listen, you got to just do all this stuff, so now it's my turn. Like mm-hmm. that sort of um emotionally immature, like uh, begrudging. Whatever you trade. have I have
1: to have. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I don't and mm-hmm. not, you know. Not sort of having the wisdom to be like, okay, that works for you. And now, again, my responsibility to decide what I need for myself and how can I ask you for it? You know, let's together make this happen, you know.
1: Have the partners that you have had in life been good at communicating their needs for self care? No, no, no. I would say, (laughs) I would
0: say that Justin feels like. Um, I think he feels like he already has a lot of freedom through his job, gives him lots of opportunities to do things that he really enjoys. And so I think he feels tentative about asking for self-care, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah. I think he feels like, oh, but I've already like been gone or I just got mm-hmm. back from this trip, but can I do something just for myself? That's not work. Yeah, that's not work. Yeah, that's So hard. that's the other side of that coin, right? Is that uh, sometimes we see our partners doing things, that would, if we've been the stay-at-home mom, that seem fun and exciting, but, you know, it's
1: not—it's taxing also. Yeah, and don't you always, though, remember the time where your partner, like, went out of their way to make sure that you got to do something that you really totally. wanted to do or needed to do or, like, I got it, I'll handle it?
2: You know, I was in a relationship um, with my— oldests dad and he would do this funny thing and keep in mind sorry my voice might start to I can feel it start to gravelly change it might change it's okay <clears throat> that's what I'm saying so um when I was in a relationship with him he would do this weird thing where he would set me up with that he would set me up to fail so he would say you have been with Ruby for so many weeks and days and months and I'm sure that you are exhausted and you should go out with your girlfriends and then when I would come back, you know, because I would think, well, yeah, I mean, maybe I should and that would be nice. And, you know, I'll watch the baby and, you know, that I support you in uh-huh. this. Go, Go take some time. You need it. And then I'd come back and I would get resentment. I don't know Ooh. if it was resentment. It was just it was like somehow I would pay. Yeah, it was weird Ooh. because then, yeah, eventually you just kind of go. Ooh, I don't want to. Then there's no trust. Yeah, I'm getting. You know, whenever it was like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll watch her. It's like mm, I'm getting set up. Ooh, yeah, you know. Ooh, yeah. Like okay, thanks, but uh, yeah, I, I and if there's I no trust. Then how
1: that. can you really communicate? Bernie, yeah, that yeah, is no. such an important point.
2: It was very weird. It was I bad. think <laughs> to be a Debbie Downer, I just no,
1: wrote it all down. No, but but hard I, hard people experience that. All the time. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not that it makes it right or anything, no. but like this is a common thing where you're like, is this me or is this me not being able to trust what you say?
2: Yeah. And
0: further complicating self-care, right? Because then it makes you think like, hmm, it might not be worth it for me to mm-hmm. go out
1: or whatever. You know, that's like, One more voice in your head that's saying,
0: nope, yeah, not for me.
2: Yeah. 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 Oh, I don't get to have that. I don't get to do that. Or if I do, then the consequences are such that it's not worth it.
1: Yeah. It's, so it, it'll, it'll cause take more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, I'll take that, the hit.
0: That makes me think of other times when redefining self-care sort of to be... Like I used to think it had to cost money. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like like self-care had to be like me going to buy something for myself or do something for myself that cost money. Yeah. Yeah. Like pampering or shopping for sure. Mm. Something special or going out, you know, but in that situation, going out like didn't work for you. Mm. And sometimes, you know, I don't know. This sounds kind of dumb to say, I think, like, is it even worth saying that sometimes self-care is just, it's its so much more internal than I guess I
1: used to think it was.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And then... Even when you're negotiating agreed. with a partner, even yeah. when you're trying to yeah. include somebody else in it. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. I've been a longtime fan. I've listened to you a lot. I think that your advice, especially for relationships really gets to the heart of the matter because you can't talk about self-care as if we all (laughs) exist solely and independently of other relationships. Mm -hmm. So particularly Mm -hmm. in relationships, in marriages or partnerships, sometimes there's a giver and sometimes there's a taker traditionally. I'd like to start out with those who are maybe always compromising, not really sure what is a need and what is just something that you want in a relationship.
3: Yeah, well, of course, it isn't always women who are the givers. It can go sure. the other way. But women have often been taught that to be the right kind of woman, to be a good woman, to be a desirable woman, is to self-sacrifice, to put your desires second, to to suppress, really, aspects of your own development. And that will make you not a threat to a man, or you'll be able to fulfill a need for a man. So a lot of people enter into partnership with that message in their hearts, even if they haven't fully articulated it to themselves that way. And so they learn that a way to be in partnership is to be needed in a sense, right? Like to fulfill or to support and to compromise aspects of themselves. And in the long-term relationship, this seldom goes well, because if you sacrifice your own development, your own well-being, well, then the marriage really can't thrive, so it's a miss it's an ideal that we often learn but it actually doesn't work to have a thriving happy relationship and to do that excessively.
1: So where do you start when you're talking to someone male or female who you can tell yes of course you have to give it's give and take in a relationship but they are clearly in, in an unhealthy way not taking care of themselves how do you back that up and say hey these are you how you identify How do you back up and say, this is how you identify your needs, first of all, and then next, this is how you communicate them to your partner?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, I'll explain maybe if it's helpful. I don't tend to talk in terms of needs. The reason why sometimes I resist the framing of needs, but I understand perfectly what you're saying is because sometimes people use it to entitle, like I have needs, or you have to fulfill my needs, or you're supposed to serve my needs. So sometimes it's just that we use that language in a way to get more into the framing of being owed things or feeling like somebody should be taking care of us as opposed to the question that I know you're driving at, which is what do I need and what do I need to stand up for and what do I need to make room for to thrive in my life? What is it that I need to pay more attention to in order for me to be whole. The, the thing that I talk to women a lot about is why we're doing the things that we do or, or in partnerships, right? Because a lot of times we have covert agendas in our giving that we haven't even admitted to ourselves. I'm going to sacrifice all this, but then I'll be appreciated. Then I'll be valued. Then I'll never be left, you know? And so sometimes when our covert agendas don't get fulfilled, we feel resentful. Like it doesn't accrue to us feeling loved or feeling good about ourselves. And so a a really important signal for women to look out for in themselves, I keep saying women, but I mean anybody in a partnership, is resentment because resentment is often what you feel when, when you have made decisions, but you have expectations attached to those decisions that other people should fulfill. And when it's not happening, there's often a covert anger. And understanding what sets, what's going on there is very, very important. Like, what am I angry about? What was I expecting, right? Um, but it's often what we're trying to do. And it's a very human thing. And men and women do it um, sometimes in different ways. But we're looking for a sense of self in our partner, we're looking for them to make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel desirable, make us feel loved. And so sometimes we're trying to do things against our own well-being to earn that love or to get that approval. And that's that's usually the issue. I tend to think of it that way more in terms of I have needs. Now, I don't mean that human beings have no needs, but instead, like, can I live with what I'm actually choosing Or is what I'm choosing working against my well-being, my peace with myself, my sense that that this relationship is fair and good and good for me?
1: So when you say that sometimes we're working against our own well-being, I I mean, I I can think back to my 25-year marriage and times where I felt resentful and I just thought, okay, is this is this fair? Is this, you know, am I feeling resentful because my husband has broken a promise to me or an agreement that we have? Or is this because I just wanted him to read my mind or I wanted, I I had an un you know, realistic idea or realistic idea that I just didn't clearly communicate. For me, oftentimes it was with time, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, where his career would take up a bunch of time and I would have the expectation that there would be a balance to it, that once that, you know, play was over or once that project was over, then it would pay off for Mm -hmm. me and he would help Mm -hmm. more in the home with the children or with my career. Mm -hmm. And... A lot of times, the times that I felt the most resentful, I realized that I hadn't communicated that to him, like in a realistic Mm -hmm. way. But the resentment was a cue to me— oh, something's off. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's yeah. when I started looking around like, oh, wait, w- 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 why
3: why am I so mad? That's right. So, so the resentment can be or the anger can be a really important signal. Sometimes we're taught that we shouldn't feel those feelings. And so we don't pay attention to them rather than recognizing something's not working for me and something doesn't feel right or fair. And sometimes it's about, not communicating well. And sometimes it's about a partner like living in an assumption that, you know, for a lot of men, they don't actually think, oh, I'm supposed to sacrifice for my partner's career aspirations or for my partner's um, ambitions and goals. And so it's not even in their mindset, right? Because they grew up thinking they would be supported, not necessarily that they would support. And it doesn't make them a bad person. It's just that they're operating in a meaning frame that the other, that, You know, if the spouse keeps going along with it, then their well-being starts to suffer. Like So for just to give another example, a lot of times in sexual relationships, what I tend to work with couples a lot around is people grow up in the idea that, well, women's sexuality kind of exists for men's well-being, for men's sexual well-being. Men have all the sexual desire and women, they have a little bit, but mostly they're there to help their husbands around this. And so they enter into the sexual relationship not from a frame of we both are individuals and we and our respective desires and feelings matter. And so, how do we create a sexual partnership? How do we create something where we both are happy, that it's something that we both feel good about? And so when that is not the meaning frame that's entered in, then a lot of times the woman is like trying to be the right kind of partner or manage or accommodate. And the husband doesn't even know that he's a taker because he's operating in that frame. But she starts to not want it because she's fulfilling his needs and feels like she doesn't get to belong to herself and her own life and her own feelings. So her desire starts to go down. And then he starts feeling like, why don't you love me? And why don't you want to be here? And then his desire goes up because he's looking to her to feel good about himself that I am desired by you. And so then these resentments start to happen in both partners because they're looking to the other person to manage a feeling about themselves, but they're also participating in a partnership in which it's not about two people thriving, but one Serving the other. So, I mean, you've explained it so
1: clearly. It makes sense about how this can happen so often, you know, especially in such an intimate relationship. So, how do you break through and break that kind of pattern so that both partners are, and again, sorry to, to use the word needs, but like have their needs mm-hmm. met while you know, with that, with that kind of like self-nurturing while also being a really good partner, which I think most people want to be.
3: Yeah. I have a podcast that I call Room for Two and it's where I'm working with couples. And the, the reason why I called it that is, well, the double entendre, but that is that when couples are happy, they really are making room for two people to thrive in their respective ways. Whatever domains they're in, whatever it is that the work that their life work that they're doing that it's supported and cared for. And so there is this really, in, an, in a, the happiest marriages, there is this balance that couples work out over time. How do we belong to our individual ambitions and goals and dreams and beliefs and thoughts, right? Because we all want to belong to a partnership, but we also want to belong to our own selves, like our own goals, our own development. And so the happiest marriages support both things, like that we belong to each other, but we belong to our respective goals and dreams. Yeah. Oh, and I I love the idea and the ideal of a relationship
1: that's living and growing and that you're creating something. I love what you said about the happiest marriages are where you belong to each other, but you also belong to yourself and your own hopes and dreams. And so I, I think framing it in that sort of creative space can be helpful. Now, whether your partner brings you a Pop-Tart in bed or you bring your partner a Pop-Tart in bed or you make Pop-Tarts together or you go get Pop-Tarts at the store, it doesn't matter. It's not about the Pop-Tarts, but it is about sort of the foundation behind all of that. And really, self-love is foundational for true love. If you don't bring yourself totally and fully to a relationship, you're not giving as much as you could be. And you don't know that if you ignore that part of yourself. We are each our own people. And the best kinds of relationships are when you openly and willingly and with excitement want to share your own full life with another person and grow together. And that's the connection that some of us are looking for. Um, Some of us are trying to nurture or continue. But that idea that we are a whole individual person who is nurtured and takes care of ourselves as a real grown-up and brings that to a relationship is the gift. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. The show is hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with help this week from Tabby Freitas. Music and post-production was done by Sam Clausen. Special thanks to Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. You can find more of her work at finlayson-fife.com Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. Since you
0: are a part of me my self-care has to be our shared priority I once thought self-neglect was strong Oh baby, I